0: About what the scripture says, and and, and I, I need you all to really use your head. The Bible says a fool says in his heart there is no God. If a fool says in his heart there is no God, then will they do what the what God say? No. What about a people who believe there is a God but don't do what he said? They're in the same category. This is what Yeshua is saying. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and do it them not shall be likened unto a fool which built his house upon the sand. So he's making the comparison between a person who don't believe there is a God and the person who do believe there is a God but is not going to do what he say. Now, there is a place where Peter talks about the if the righteous, if the righteous scarcely be saved, where should the sinner and the ungodly be? If the righteous, so who's gonna be saved? The righteous. Well, what about the sinner? The sinner and the ungodly is gonna end up in the same place. You know, the the definition of that word center, sinner there is one who know God, but don't do what he say. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the gospel according to Matthew. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. For those who had ears to hear, Yeshua gave instructions on how believers in the kingdom were to conduct themselves morally and ethically in the world kingdoms. Yeshua transitions his teachings to the law and the intent of the law in comparison and contrast to how the law was being taught by the legalistic religious leaders. These leaders were mainly the Pharisees who taught in the weekly synagogue services. Yeshua explained how the law should have been interpreted and lived out daily by the children of Israel. Join us as we examine the life-changing teachings of Yeshua from the law as he contrasts his teachings with the teachings of the legalistic teachers of the law in his day the message title in this podcast is yeshua teaches the law so let's study now we're going to start off in matthew chapter 5 verse 21 and remember and let me let me say this going forward as i said the the Torah was not given to a people for them to become free. The Torah was given to a people that had been delivered, that had been set free. And keep keep in mind that as we were going through John and we talked about the greatest commandment and then the second was likened unto it, the greatest was what? Love Jehovah with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Second, what? Love your neighbor. So what we understand is is that our relationship with the Almighty or our relationship in the kingdom, let me put it this way, is one, to serve the king. That's first and foremost, that we worship him with all of our being. Secondly, is our relationship with one another. See, we also have to understand, as I stated, that the Torah was not given to the world. It was not given to the world. It was given to the kingdom of Israel. It was given to the people. In fact, the Torah says that we are not to become engaged in relationships with the people that are of the world. When father brought the children of Israel into the land of Canaan, he says, listen, don't serve them like they serve their God, don't, take on their ways, don't adopt their practices, don't let your sons marry their daughters, don't let your daughters marry their sons. Even to the point to where, when it comes down to borrowing or lending, you can lend to a brother without usury, but when you lend to the people outside of your brother, then what, you can charge interest when Messiah said, when the, when the, um, he was asked um, or told that his, his mom and his brothers were coming to see him, he says, well, who is my mother? Who is my brother? They that do the will of my father who sent me. My mother and my brother are those who do the will of my father. The world around me is not my brother. Now I know I grew up in Mississippi and in Mississippi growing up in a, black neighborhood, you know, what's up, bro? What's up, bro? You know, because you were black, you were my brother. Well, in the kingdom, your nationality doesn't make you my brother. What makes you my brother in the kingdom is that you adhere to his word. That's what makes you my brother. That's what makes you my sister. So it's not based on your color or your ethnicity. It is based on your adherence to the word given to the kingdom people. And when you as a brother in the word operate in accordance to the word, I recognize you as my brother. Now there are external things that people can look at, like the clothes you wear, um, seat seats, um, certain colors and things of that nature. But what father is, he's not looking at the external, He's looking at the internal. He's looking at your motivations. He's looking at your thoughts. He's looking at the intents of our heart. And the only thing that can change your thoughts, your motivations, your intent is his word once it takes root in us and begin to confront our thinking, confront our motivation, confront the way we operate, See, you may operate like the members of your family, but here's the question, is a member of your family operating like the scriptures? Because if the members of your family is not operating according to the scriptures, you have to deal with them according to the scriptures. Do you know that in the Bible, the father said that if your mama, your daddy, your sister, your brother went out and served idols, they would have been put to death. (laughs) If they tried to get you to go and serve idols or to serve some other God, you had to confront them with what? The word or you went along with them and now you too become a victim of the word. Are 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 we together so far? So Messiah said in verse 21, you've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shall not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. Now understand that what we're about to deal with here is the community side. This is the neighbor side. We honor the Almighty first by adhering to his instructions. We honor the Almighty by how we deal with one another. It is important in our relationship that our relationship is based on the word of the kingdom, not on the culture. Unless your culture is aligned with what is written, you have to abandon your culture because you can't operate in your culture if your culture is contrary to what is written. Now, we just went through um, what the Gregorian calendar refers to as the new year. Now, I don't know what it's like uh, growing up in a white family, because I didn't grow up in a white family, I grew up in a black family. I grew up in a black family in the South. Now, in a black family in the South, the new years, there were some superstitions, You could only eat certain food on that day. Now, I saw, I saw some 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 pastors, some individuals. Um, one pastor said, "I'm not superstitious. I don't practice superstition. But can anybody tell me where I can get some black-eyed peas?" Okay, why are you looking for black-eyed peas on New Year's? because culturally that's what you eat another wrote how many of you had parents who if a, if somebody other than a man showed up at your house on new year's eve they got cussed out see this is a this is a cultural tradition for 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 black families in the south and i don't know if if you all my my, my caucasian sister here well, you from the north, you ain't from the south, so you don't know what I'm talking about. But folks from the south, they know. So y'all did the, the black IP thing? Oh, man. the, the woman, oh, none of that. Okay. So it's not just a black thing, it's a southern thing, you see? And so it's like, preacher. How could you even be entertaining or even joking or operating in that mindset? I went to Earth Fair yesterday and guess what they had on the menu? Black Eyed Peas. It's like, I was a little surprised. It's like, okay, I haven't seen Black Eyed Peas, but then it dawned on me, this is the, that was the first day of the, of the year. And in the black church, there was a lot of superstition. I suspect that there was in some of the white churches too. A lot of superstition and what you find is a mixture of scripture and culture. And this mixture of scripture and culture, how is it that Santa Claus got to Africa? And the Easter Bunny, it went with the American gospel. Are you with me? A lot of the cultural traditions here in America went to wherever the Americans sent their missionaries to where now Africans are celebrating Christmas and dressed up like Santa Claus during their services with Christmas trees. It's like, come on folks, where do you find that stuff in the Bible? They didn't find it in the Bible, they saw it on Christian TV. And so there's a lot of mixture and cultural issues going on that is that is being preached and demonstrated from the podium, from what they call the pulpit. We're gonna deal with some of that. Well, brother, why don't you go ahead on and deal with it? Because we've been here a while and we haven't even gotten to the first verse. Here we go. <laughs> Yeshua begins this portion of his teaching from the Torah. Now understand something in this word, kill, we're gonna find that there are three Hebrew words that refers to kill. And this is why you can't can't just apply one size fit all to a particular word. The first, kill to murder, ratzak. To murder, to slay, to kill. And, and if you go down there to usage, you'll see the way it's used, a slayer, a murderer, a kill. And, and this is the Hebrew word that is going to be associated with the Greek word here, murder. So what is he saying? Thou shall not murder. Now, kill to sacrifice. And here's why I'm bringing this out, because there's some people out there who have issues with killing, even some vagans. See, vegans read the Bible and the Bible says, well, you, sh- you guys said, the Bible says you shouldn't be killing. You shouldn't kill. So if you if you don't kill an animal, how do you eat an animal? Which all of us should be vegans or vegetarians, you see. People will misuse what they read in English to fit their particular agenda. And this is why it's important that we know what the Bible actually teaches to kill or to sacrifice an animal or to slaughter. And this is the word uh, kill, shakat. So you have ratzak, you have shakat. That's to kill, to slay, to offer, to shout out. And then there's kill to eat flesh. See, there could not be sacrifices in the tabernacle or in the temple if, they didn't kill. And so if you look at kill, you would and, and you come to the conclusion there should be nothing, you should you should not engage in any killing. That also involves hunting. It involves no sac, it's like it doesn't make sense. So there are times when you will read something that doesn't make sense. Now, <clears throat> if you're divorced from sacrifices or the sacrificial system or the Torah or the Old Testament, you can actually buy that line of thinking. However, we know better. So there's the kill to eat flesh, that's sabach. It means to slaughter, to kill, to sacrifice. Its usage is to offer or to kill. So the question is, is if there's these three Hebrew words for kill Yeshua is referring to this thou shall not kill, which comes from where? Torah. Verse, and so what he's saying is that it was said of them of old, who was them of old? These are the teachers of old, them of old. These were the interpretations by different teachers concerning this particular verse. Now. Understand something, nobody knew the word better than the word itself. And it's already established, now not here this early in Matthew, but it's already established for those of us who've looked at the the gospel writings, that what them of old were teaching were not necessarily always in alignment with what was written. You see, and so, You've heard that it was said by them of old, thou shalt not kill and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. We're gonna look at this verse. It's gonna take us a little time, but it's important for us to look at it so that we understand going forward and even how to communicate it. The word Yeshua uses for kill is the Greek phaneo or phaneuo. It means to kill, to murder. So what is he saying is, thou shall not murder, to commit murder. that's That's not how we are supposed to operate. Again, this word is the Hebrew equivalent to Ratzak, and the word is directly connected to the commandment in Yeshua's teaching in Mark chapter 10, where he says, thou knowest the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, Defraud not, honor thy father and mother. And so Yeshua is teaching these things and where is he getting them from? These particular things he's teaching from the Torah. So if he's teaching from the Torah, why shouldn't those who are instructed to teach what he taught teach from the Torah? Killing was not against the law. Murder was against the law. And it's so important for us as we go forward, the Greek word for eating something that has been killed is thuo. It's a sacrifice to slay, to kill. It, it deals with the Passover, the Paschal lamb, or any sacrifice. Or if you, if, if you are a meat eater, we are instructed not to tear the limb from the animal and eat it raw. It's like, why should somebody need that instruction? There are people who eat raw meat. There are people who drink blood. Today, not only do they drink the the blood of, of clean, but they also drink pigs' blood, unclean things' blood. Individuals who are into sacrificing to to idols, draining the blood and drinking the blood and taking on the the nature or the the strength of the animal. These things folks are going on today. Are you hearing me? Somebody posted something about the the Odi tribe, which is an Ethiopian tribe uh, out of Africa where their bellies are, um, the, the bigger their bellies, the more attractive they are. And they have big belly contests. Yes, today, not, not on this particular day but it still goes on. And the way they get their bellies so big is is they drink milk and blood. Now I know for some of us, that's a little bit disgusting, but if you're raised in that culture, you don't think nothing of it. That's how you were raised. See, it would be a foolish thing for us to think that everybody think like Americans. That's, that's not single-minded, that's narrow-minded. Verse Luke 15, 23 says, and bring hither the fatted calf and kill it, and let us eat and be married. See, that word there is not associated with killing as far as murder, but killing to eat. Now, he that kill or murder in danger of judgment. And, and the reason why I'm breaking this down is because of a later verse that is important for us to, to understand. Matthew 5, 21, you have heard that it was said by them of old, thou shalt not kill and whosoever kill shall be in danger of the judgment. This word in danger of is in It means now you're bound to, you're you're under obligation, you're subject to. It's like this, if you commit a crime, you're going to be subject to judgment. If you commit a crime, there will be law enforcers who will start looking for you, and their job is not to judge you, their job is to bound you up, so that you can go before a judge they have to read you your rights they 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 incarcerate you their job is done now it's the jailer's job to keep you incarcerated until your date of of court and now it's the the transporter's responsibility to come and get you out of jail and to take you to court so that you can face what judgment so whoever does this Murder will be in danger or liable of, or now will face judgment. And if, if you look up this word, you'll see, like for instance, um, 1A, used of one who's held by, possessed with love and zeal for anything. 1B, in forensic sense, denoting the connection of a person either with his crime or with the penalty, or or trial, or with that against whom or which he has offended. Guilty, worthy of punishment, and of course, of course, in danger, guilty of, subject to. Now, Yeshua addresses what causes this. He starts off, thou shall not kill, and then he transitions into being angry. Now remember, he's teaching a multitude, he's teaching his disciples, he's teaching a multitude and he's teaching from the Torah. Verse 22, but I say unto you, now notice what he said, it is said by them of old, you should not kill or you'll be in danger of. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his who? Brother but not only angry with his brother, but angry with his brother without cause. In other words, there are cause to be angry and there is being angry without a cause. Somebody may get angry because I'm teaching what I'm teaching. There've been people who've gotten very angry. This is one of the reasons why when people come after me on on social media, I don't respond to many of them. Especially once I've identified, they're just looking for trouble. They're trying to pick a fight. They're calling you out. They're hoping you respond. I don't feed into that. If somebody throws a finger, I had one guy. Now, you know, I was in a hurry one day and, and I admit I jumped in front of him. I hit it and I jumped. And man, this guy followed me for, I don't know how long. And all I could see in my rear view mirror was him giving me all of these and cussing and and veins popping out of his head. And it's like, you know, what's wrong with this guy? Why can't he just let it go? Why you gotta behave like that? What's he gonna do? Cause he don't know, he don't wanna walk up on this vehicle. And I don't want him to walk up on this vehicle. Are you hearing me? So you know I'm driving on about my business, and and he's following me. And eventually, you don't know. I got I got some speed, so I just left him. <laughs> Why trying to avoid dealing with a fool? Well, brother, you should. Well, we gonna deal with that. Let's see. And so it's like, okay, was that a cause for all of that? To him, it was. You ever been in a conversation, and now all of a sudden you're fighting mad, husbands and wives. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Eyes start rolling, the back of your head. All you see now is is white. You don't even see pupil anymore. Veins popping out. You about ready to fight. Some of you all go to fistica. <laughs> it's like why are you doing that? What's what? Where is that going to lead to? you you're you getting into a, a fist fight with your spouse somebody's gonna get hurt somebody's gonna get bruised and somebody might go to jail so there's there's cause and, and Yeshua says you know if, if you have a cause to be angry don't allow your angry causing you to violate the court the Torah be angry but don't sin. Don't sin in your anger. You may have every right to get angry, but you don't have a right to violate his commands cause you angry. And so Yeshua says, I'm saying that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Now you say, and they're saying, if you murder, if you murder somebody, you're gonna be in danger with judgment, but let's deal with the murder before he gets to the murder. Let's deal with the cause of you wanting to murder somebody is because someone has angered you. Now this is a cause. But if you're angry without cause, then now you're gonna be in danger of judgment and chances are if you allow your anger to move you to action then you're gonna do something that is going to cause you now to be before a judge. He says, and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hell fire. Now, there are cases where there is cause to be angry. As I stated, When we have cause to be angry, we are not to sin or violate the law and commit murder. And here's the question, who determines cause? How can cause be determined without a trial? So Yeshua addresses anger without cause. He says, but I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment and whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of counsel. But whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Notice here, this raka is you empty, it's an empty head or or senseless person, if you would. Empty-headed man or someone who is calling you out of your name. Calling you a word that may be something other than a fool. You ever had people call you out of your your name and it angered you? Because the whole issue here is dealing with that anger. If you've got anger issues, you gotta get those anger issues dealt with. Because if you don't get the anger issues dealt with, you're gonna have two two issues, possibly three. One is you're gonna have the issue of the judgment, counsel. Two, you may have the issue of the person and ultimately you're gonna have the issue of father because if you don't deal with the anger issues, the anger issues is gonna lead you to do something that is gonna cause problems for you. Even if it's just words that you spout out out of anger. See, once you speak those words out of anger, you can't take them back. Parents used to tell us sticks and stones will break your bones, but words should never hurt you. Well, they shouldn't, but they do. Many of us have gone through life playing over and over in our heads words that people have spoken over us. And the words that, that really stick with us for the most part is the words of our parents. And secondarily, the words of those who are responsible for instructing us. The things that I remember the most are things my parents said to me, things my teachers said to me, and things preachers have said to me. Now, of course, what when, when, when my wife speaks words to me, those words play over in my head too. Just like I suspect the words that I speak to her play over in her head. And and, and I've learned and I'm learning how to target my words to accomplish what I want them to to accomplish. And this this is where wisdom comes in, see? speaking words that will motivate a person to do what you're asking them to do. If you're speaking in a way to where they hear you and they do. Now, sometimes when you have talked to your son or your daughter over and over and you've spoken nice and and they ain't getting it, you may have to raise up a few decimals, even to the point to where, because father spoke to Israel, when he gave them those instructions through Moses and, and, and spoke to them from the mountain, um, and then sent the prophets to speak to them, and, and, and they didn't get it, he spoke over and over and over, there came a time to where now it's like, okay, it's time out for words. It's time for action. It's time for correction, it's time for punishment, you see. And so it's saying here, Raka, you you'll be in, in danger of the council. And this council here, um, the Greek is Sanundrian or Sunedrian or Sanhedrin as some would would, would get it, uh, any assembly. Any assembly. Now you'll notice that Paul talks about taking our matters before the the secular court. He says, listen, if there's an assembly amongst you, I mean, surely you all can find individuals within the assembly that can judge a matter, right? But do the assembly operate like an assembly? Or is it operating like a church? And when you are in assembly and you're going to be judging a matter, what are you going to use to judge it? Just as you go before the secular court, they've got written laws. That's the court. But they didn't get their laws from the Almighty. They may have um, taken some laws and modified them, adjusted them, They may even say, we get the authority to do this court system because it's in the Bible. Well, the court and the the idea of being taken before a judge, I mean, remember, we got a book of judges. There was a time when Israel was under the judges. What did the judges do? They dealt with matters. Anybody who's familiar with with the Elizabethan age movies of kingdoms and kings, the kings had court. People would bring their matters before the king to be judged. They get this from Solomon. When the two women who was arguing over a baby, they brought the matter before the king for what? To judge the matter. So kings after judges were responsible for judging matters. And then when it comes down to the body of Messiah, he's saying, those of you who understand the law, those of you who understand what it means to judge a matter according to the judgment of the Most High, isn't there some among you who are capable of doing that? But in judging a matter, you don't get into emotions and friendships. It's not about your friend. It's not about your, your, you know, somebody you like or somebody you don't like. It's not about whether it's your son or your daughter. If your son is wrong, your son is wrong. If your daughter is wrong, your daughter is wrong. Well, that's my baby. Well, you've just allowed your emotions to taint your judgment. You're not worthy to judge a matter. And in some cases, You have to do what they do in court systems, recuse yourself to where a judge, if his family member comes before him, a righteous judge would say, I am going to recuse myself from this case. This case should be held before another judge. But our judgment should be based on what? His law. His law, I verse 22, here's where it gets interesting. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Whosoever shall say to his brother, Rocker, shall be in danger of counsel, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now you've got, you've got two things here before this hellfire. One is judgment. You'll do things that will require judgment. Now, there are two arenas where you might be judged. You you may be judged in the council or in a court, but some people, and this is where fools come in, take matters into their own hands. They take matters into their own hands. They become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. And they, 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 they will operate. You know, when a person snaps on you, they've just lost it. When a person is angry, they're more capable of doing something foolish than when they're not angry. It's when we are angry, we make the most mistakes in our behavior and attitude toward people that we're angry toward. It's when we're angry, we say some of the most harmful and hurtful things, and even do things that once you come back to your sanity, you can't even believe you did. You went into a stage of rage. People go into a stage of wrath. And if you don't learn, how to deal with those anger issues, those anger issues at some point is gonna push you to a point to where you find yourself incarcerated. He says, but whosoever shall say thou fool shall be in danger of the hell fire. Now, here's the problem of Christian teaching, because this is an issue you hear hell fire what do you think you think the lake of fire hell fire and the lake of fire is two different things there is no fire in hell there's fire in the lake of fire and according to the scriptures death and hell will be cast into what the lake of fire so what is this hell fire it's not hell it's not hell as it relates to the afterlife or life after death and where persons are gonna spend um, eternity. Nobody's gonna spend eternity in hell, folks. Not the hell that preachers preach these fiery sermons. If you don't repent and give your life to Jesus, you're gonna, go to hell. You're gonna burn in hell, you won't burn in hell. So where do they get this from? First, the word fool is foolish or impious or godless. It says, if you call somebody a fool, understand something, you're you're creating a potential problem. Now here's the question, is Yeshua saying in this passage, do not call somebody a fool or recognize someone as a fool? No, Yeshua called the religious leaders fools, right? Matthew 23, 15, We're going to jump ahead a little bit. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you can the sea and land to make one proselyte, and when he is made, you f- and when he is made, you make him twofold more the child of hell than yourselves. Woe unto you, you blind guides, which say, "Whosoever shall swear by the temple is nothing; but whosoever shall swear by the gold of the temple, he is a debtor." You fools and blind, now if he's telling somebody, if he's saying don't call somebody a fool, why would he be doing something he say don't do? We're gonna explain this in a moment. He says you fools for whether is greater, the goal or the temple that sanctified the goal. And then again, you fools and blind for whether it is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctified the gift. Now I made a post, about april fools should be on december 25th and a so-called elder in a messianic community that's been an elder for 15 years wanted to rebuke me saying that i call somebody fools and jesus said or you know yeshua says don't call no man a fool Well, first of all i didn't call a man a fool i said april fools day should be on december twenty third, december 25th but now he creates an a he creates an accusation that a real elder would never do. Because the scripture says, do not bring an accusation against an elder, except by two or three witnesses. And so you're gonna accuse me of calling somebody a fool when I haven't called anybody a fool and make an accusation against me, then I know I'm dealing with a fool. But I'm not gonna call him a fool, because it's just gonna get more angry. I don't want him lurking out in the parking lot after I'm out done for service. You know, some people they'll 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 just wait on you in the bush. Oh, ah, you know, I'm telling you. And, and you're gonna see here in just a moment. Yeshua said, those who heard his words and did not put them into practice. We're fools. Matthew 7, 26, we'll get to this. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened unto a foolish man. It's the same word, moros. Moros. A fool is somebody, I mean, think about what the scripture says. And and I, I need you all to really use your head. The Bible says, a fool says in his heart, there is no God. If a fool says in his heart there is no God, then will they do what what God say? No. What about a people who believe there is a God, but don't do what he said? They're in the same category. This is what Yeshua is saying. Everyone that hears these sayings of mine and do it them not. shall be likened unto a fool which built his house upon the sand. So he's making the comparison between a person who don't believe there is a god and the person who do believe there is a god but is not going to do what he say. Now, there is a place where Peter talks about the if the righteous if the righteous scarcely be saved, where should the sinner and the ungodly be? If the righteous, so who's gonna be saved? The righteous, well, what about the sinner? The sinner and the ungodly is gonna end up in the same place. You know, the, the definition of that word sinner center, center there is one who know God, but don't do what he say. They'll end up with the ungodly. A fool would skirt the law and not operate according to the law, but take matters into their own hands like the Pharisees did by skirting the law, bearing false witnesses. And when their efforts failed, took advantage of a Roman rule for release of a prisoner. And they chose Barabbas instead of Yeshua. When they could not get Yeshua handed over to them so that they could execute him, they chose Barabbas and forced the Romans hands after They bore false witnesses. How can can those who have been instructed not to bear false witness, bear false witness? Why? Yeshua says they were the children of the devil. The children of the devil that dresses up as angels of light is what they were. These were the folks who were responsible for teaching the people, but instead of teaching the people the commandments of the most high, they were teaching them their denominational doctrines, their statements of faith. They were making people comply to the rules and regulations for their organization, and as long as you're in a, see, you could be in a good standing with your church, but not be in right standing with the Most High. Is how can a pastor have a, a homosexual leading worship? How can a pastor have elders or or, or pastor himself who's committing adultery and? And and sleeping around with other single women in the church or, or 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 some other body, some other person's wife. How can you be a lying and a crook and call yourself a man of God or a woman of God? Something don't line up, folks. And then you got these foolish people saying, Well, brother, you better watch your mouth. Don't touch God's anointed. Really? Well, I know his anointed, and that ain't it. A fool would gender strife and even commit murder. Why? Because they're not going to follow. This is why Yeshua could call the Pharisees fools because they didn't follow the law. They followed their laws. Paul tells us that foolish and unlearned questions gender strife. It leads to fighting or combat. This is Second Timothy 2 Timothy 2:23 But foolish and unlearned questions avoid knowing that they do gender strifes that word strife is a fight <laughs> You want to fight on your hand argue with a fool What Yeshua is saying is if you say you fool, you shall be in danger of hellfire. He's not saying don't call somebody a fool. He's just saying, understand, if you're gonna deal with a fool, just understand, the fools don't play by the same rules you play by. They don't operate according to the Torah. They may not operate according to the law. The fool play dirty. Why, because they wanna get you. They're out for you, and they're figuring a way to get out, get you. Okay? So what is he saying? Yeshua referenced the writings and the prophets. Now he's about to pull the prophets into this. Notice what he says. And and I want you to see that in the New Testament, there are two hells. The hell above ground, and then there's a hell below ground. The hell above ground, what Yeshua is dealing with here is Gehenna. Gehenna is an actual place. This hell that he's referring to is an actual place, a location, a geography. It is the Valley of Henan. Hell number one, hellfire, Gehenna. Hell is a place, and, and this, is, this is people now giving it a, 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 uh, a meaning, but Gehenna of fire was originally in Yeshua's day, See, see, before the, the, the people today start, start redoing, you know, when they, when they bring the words from the Hebrew and they bring them in the Greek, they start giving them their meanings. They start rewriting them like Moses. We know Moses was not a Hebrew name, but they changed the Egyptian name Moses to the Hebrew Moshe and gave Moshe a different definition than the Egyptian name, because where was Moses named in Egypt? who gave him the name an Egyptian, Pharaoh's daughter. She wasn't Hebrew, so why would she give him a Hebrew name? She gave him an Egyptian name. But now when you look up Moshe, you see a Hebrew definition. In fact, if you look up any word in the, in the Old Testament, you'll see Hebrew definition, but you have to read the fine print. You have to look at the origin of the word. When you look at the origin of the, of the word, you'll find that it was not an a Hebrew word. There were many languages in the Bible and very few cases where you actually see there are interpreters. One way we know is that when we were dealing with uh, Genesis and the brothers came up to Egypt and Joseph had an interpreter, Joseph spoke their language, but he spoke through an interpreter so they wouldn't understand he was Joseph. So they couldn't understand what Joseph, I mean, Joseph could have spoken directly to them, which he did. Right? All right. So, Gehenna is the Valley of Henan. And here it is, south of Jerusalem, where the filth and dead animals of the city were cast out and burned. This word is found in the Old Testament. Now, in the Old Testament, the word hell is Sheol. If you look up Sheol, you'll find that it is not this word. But Gehenna, hell, is an actual place. It's the Valley of Henan in 2 Kings 23.10, and he defiled Topheth, we're gonna to look at that word, which is in the valley of the children of Henna, Henan, that no man might make his son or his daughter pass through what? The fire of Molech, the Valley of Henan or Gehenna was a place where the Israelites were sacrificing their children to Molech, to fire. Topheth, meaning a place of fire. A place in the Southeast end of the Valley of the Son of Henan, south of Jerusalem. Second Chronicles, these are the writings. So when Yeshua's audience know who he's talking about, he's not talking about, he's not talking to Christians. See, Christians see hell, and they see what they've been taught in church. When Yeshua's talking, his audience know exactly what he's talking about. Because there were some people who ended up in Henan, <laughs> in the Valley of Henan, They were murdered. This is where the trash was thrown. This is where dead animals were put. This is where individuals who had been killed, slaughtered, and murdered were thrown. Their bodies were burned and their worms never died. Second Chronicles 28.3, moreover he burnt incense where? In the valley of the son of Henan and burnt his children in the fire. After the abominations of the heathen whom Jehovah had cast out before the children of Israel. Jeremiah 731, and they have built the high places of Tophet which is in the valley of the son of Hanan, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I commanded them not, neither came it into my heart. Jeremiah 19.2, and go forth into the valley of the son of Henan, which is by the entry of the east gate, and proclaim there the words that I shall tell thee; And say, Hear ye the word of Jehovah, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus saith Jehovah, host, the God of Israel, Behold, I will bring evil upon this place, the which whosoever heareth his ears shall tingle because they have forsaken me and have struggled or have estranged this place and have burned incense in it unto other gods, whom neither they nor their fathers have known nor the kings of Judah and have filled this place with the blood of innocents. They have built also the high places of Baal to burn their sons with fire for burnt offerings unto Baal, which I commanded not, nor spake it, neither came it into my mind. Gehenna, hell, was an actual place above ground. Now there's another word, but look at Jeremiah 19, 6. Therefore, behold the days come, saith Jehovah, that this place shall no more be called Topheth, nor the valley of the Son of Henan, but the valley of slaughter. This is where they murdered people and took them. This is where fools got rid of those they killed. If you provoke somebody to wrath, you provoke somebody to anger, you are in danger of ending up, where? In Gehenna. This is what Yeshua is saying to his disciples. He's saying to those who are hearing him. This is not the hell that he will speak of later. Gehenna is strictly the Valley of Henan. This passage does not deal with hell number two, referenced by Yeshua in Matthew 16. Matthew 16, 18, and I say unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That word, brother, is Hades. It's a different hell. But see, when a person hears hell, what do they hear? Hell. And it doesn't dawn on them that what they're hearing is not right, because they've already ascribed a definition to it, and when they read this with their definition, they hear Yeshua saying, if you call somebody a fool, God is gonna send them to hell. God is gonna send you to hell. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, you're in danger. Who are you in danger of hellfire to? The person you called the fool. This is not Jehovah. Father has established judgment. He's established righteous judgment, which requires a council. So you're either stand before the council, or somebody's going to take matters into their own hand and take you out. In biblical Greek, Hades is associated with Orcus, the infernal regions, a dark and dismal place in the very depths of the earth, the common receptacle of disembodied spirits. Usually, Hades is just the abode of the wicked. And it's also referred to as the grave in some places. Now, there is in Numbers, I believe it's chapter number 35. I just wanna be sure Let somebody say something different, but I believe it's in, and and we'll get to this as we're going through the Torah, but in numbers, yeah, in Numbers 35, the Bible talks about this, these cities of refuge, to where there's a difference between murdering somebody and accidentally killing them. See, people die by accidents. They can die in a a car accident today. That's not murder. They can die in self-defense. That's not murder. A person can die by accident as far as um, falling into uh, a, a trap that maybe you laid for an animal even when it comes down to making sure that you got the the roof of your house properly railed so nobody falls off of it. Brother, you got to do something about that phone. So when we deal with that, just turn the ringer off. Anyway, when we deal with that, and see this is how distractions come. So I have to wait until the distraction so I got your attention. Because you'll, you'll, you'll turn away from the important word to focus on the distraction because that's how we are as humans. And especially if you got ADD, ADDD, ADHD, OCD, or whatever the case may be, the least little thing. You know, you see a bug and now you following the bug, trying to see what's going on with the bug, why the word is going full. It's like not the gospel of the bug. See, I know y'all. <laughs> I know me, I, I, have to, I have to focus. I do, cause I get easily distracted, I will. So I have to fight that distraction so I can stay focused. But if you read Numbers, um, if you read Numbers chapter 35, you'll find that these cities of refuge were established to where if somebody murdered somebody uh, by accident or self-defense then they could flee to that city of refuge. And if they are found, then now they they get a, a, a trial. Because see, you gotta be understand something. If you're in danger of the council, then if you're in danger, you're subject to you're, you're, you're subject to a proper a proper judgment. An improper judgment is when somebody takes matters into their own hands. An improper judgment when somebody accuses you of something you haven't done. An improper judgment is when somebody makes a rumor, they, they, they hear something and without checking it out, they're now spreading it without making sure it's verifiable. You see, a proper judgment is now because see, before you could be killed according to Torah, there had to be at least two witnesses. Nobody could be put to death with with the exception of two witnesses testifying against you. But if somebody is taking matters into their own hands, they don't need a witness. All they need is heresy. And, and this is, you know, people today are so quick to judge a matter by what they see on the news. They'll judge it. A lot of folks have ended up in prison falsely accused because of improper judgments. There's hearsay witnesses and there are eyewitnesses. And if you hear something long enough, especially some of these conspiracy theories, you'll start believing them you start interpreting things based on the, just because somebody repeats a lie 20 million times, don't make that lie the truth. Just because it's on Facebook or in Twitter or on the internet don't mean it's true. And do you know that there there are people who know how to spin to where you can create a website and put all the references in the website and then create the reference page and all the pages that the website leads to and you think you got two or three witnesses but it's all the same person's information. They misled. And in in today's society with cyber terrorists, cyber individuals in different countries disseminating information and putting it out there and then seeing Torah observant people like, retweet, repost something that if they would have just taken a few minutes and fact checked it, and just because it comes from your friend, which happens to be you know what? What do they call these? Folk? Well, it comes from a good source, a good resource, a reliable source. How many of you know? Within reliable is lie. And so you may, you got to make sure that your reliable source ain't lying. Are you with it? So read read Numbers twenty. 35 in your in your spare time because if 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 I murder somebody and and I got to that city I'm going to get a fair trial but if if the person's brother that I murdered catch me before I get to that city and take me out Let's see now we got a whole different scenario and within the Torah there are guidelines by which judgment is supposed to be meted out. And that's why you have to be careful when you judge because whatever judgment you meet out will be the same judgment that you are meted out to, that are meted out to you. The Bible doesn't say don't judge, it simply encourages you to make sure you make righteous judgment. And if you're gonna make righteous judgment, you gotta make sure that you investigate the situation. If there is no investigation, how do you come to the conclusion of your judgment? And there's a lot of unrighteous judgment being made by people who claim to be righteous. You wanna make sure you don't fall in that trap or that category, because now you're setting yourself up with the Almighty. Verse 23, therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar and there remembers that thy brother has ought against you. Now, the altar is, in this passage refers to the brazen altar where sacrifices and offerings were made by the people at the temple. The altar is not referring to a church pulpit. So I know churches got altars now. Come to the altar, y'all. That's not the altar Yeshua is referring to. This altar has to do with the brazen altar where sacrifice, over here, folks. That's why movement, see, folks start moving and talking and next thing you know, folks, I lose you. I ain't gonna let y'all just just, just get distracted now. Hallelujah. I wait. Come on, catch up. So, when it comes down to the altar, how many of y'all have gone to altar in, to the altar in church? Who made that an altar? Now, the pulpit is the sacred place. Who made that sacred? The churches, the denominations. And where did they get that from? Because you don't find pulpits in the Torah. The only thing that comes closer to a pulpit is what people say. You know, they call a a soapbox. Ezra got up and he stood and he began to to speak the law to the people. But there was no that 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 wasn't necessarily how things were done. But now in church, you got the 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 pulpit, you got the sacred desk, you got the altar and people come to the altar. But see, that's not what Yeshua is saying, but this is how people will interpret what he's saying through their Western mind, their Greek thinking. Leave there thy gift before the altar. So if you're bringing a gift to the altar, here's what you're bringing. You're bringing either a first fruit, you're bringing some kind of vow, you're bringing some kind of of sacrifice, you're bringing some kind of peace offering, thanksgiving offering, uh, a love offering, or whatever the case may be, and you're presenting it to the priest, and the priest will take it and set it before the altar. The first fruits were taken and put before what? the 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 altar. You see, <laughs> not 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 the church podium. And so, when Yeshua is is teaching, these individuals understand that you don't come to the Almighty knowing you got issues in your heart against your brothers. That's what he's saying. Leave your gift before the altar and go thy way. First be reconciled to your brother. Be reconciled to your brother. Then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly. He's not talking about the devil. Now I know the Bible refers to the adversary as the devil, but he's not talking, don't come in agreement with the devil. This is, this word is, if you have enemies, if, if, if you've, if you've brought aught against your brother and your brother's got an issue with you, you have to understand if somebody is angry with you, if somebody is mad with you, if you have provoked somebody to wrath, they may want to get you back. I was talking to my brother this um, this past, what was it? Friday, I got a cousin in uh, Chicago who is a preacher. And someone, according to my brother, according to uh, my brother who is my cousin who is the preacher, somebody removed or loosed some pins in his front front wheel. And while he was driving down the the interstate, the the tires locked up, and, and he did tremendous damage to his car. My brother had the same thing happen to him a while back. I said to my brother, I said, why would somebody do that? is Arthur, you you just have no idea who your enemies are. You have no idea who your enemies are. You have no idea of people out there who just wanna hurt you. There's some people out there, initiations, initiations in gangs, initiation into some kind of fraternity or some kind of sorority, they gotta do some damage or do some harm to somebody. You're in the wrong place at the wrong time. You become a victim and you ain't done nothing. People out there who have evil motives, wrong motives. Folks see something you got, they wanna snatch your purse. Folks, folks are out there to do damage to you and that's why we have to be discerning and be led because Father see all that. He know the people who have issue with you and some of the people you know who have issues with you, what do you do with that? Well, Father is saying, if you wanna be in right relationship with me, do your best to be in right relationship with your brothers. Who is your brothers? Those who do the will of your Father. You don't wanna walk around, you don't wanna go through life with anger issues, hate, wanting to hurt somebody. So agree with your adversary quickly, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast in prison. That's a good adversary because they're gonna report you. There you go again, they're gonna gonna report you and now you have an opportunity or you, as they say, you will have your day in court. You have an opportunity to defend yourself. A bad adversary don't give you that opportunity. They set your house on fire. Take pins out of your front wheel, loose your lug nuts, drain the oil out of your car, put sugar in your gas tank. You got people out there that do some evil things because they got issues and they don't resolve those issues and that should not be us. Verily I say unto you, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost far, farthing." So if you owe money to your brother, pay what you owe. If you borrow money from some, from your brother, pay him back. The Bible says, you know what? The Bible calls a wicked man. A wicked is a, is a man who borrow but does not repay. If you borrow money and you don't repay your debt, if you put your word out there and you don't keep your word, that puts you in the category of the wicked. Now, understand something. If you're dealing with wicked people like the banks and the credit unions and, well, lending institutions, you know, they're already trying to get in your pocket, and and they've already committed crimes against you without your knowledge. You say, well, how is that, brother? If you ever borrow money from an institution, notice they never give you money. They give you credit. Credit is not legal tender, but they expect legal tender in return. Legal tender now is not even legal. It's promissory notes. Promissory notes belongs to the treasurer. They print. It's not money, it's fiat. <laughs> it's got the semblance, but it's not. Cause only Congress has the right authority to coin money. Corning money is not in the hands of the Congress. It's in the hands of the federal reserves and the treasury and all these people who are, who are printing monies. But that's a whole nother story. The bottom line is that if you owe somebody money, pay them back. If there's a dispute between you, find a way to resolve the dispute. Apply the Torah law and do what is required when it comes to matters with your brothers, lest you be cast into prison. If you are the offended party, go to your brother and seek a solution to your issue. If necessary, bring witnesses, and if required, bring the matter before the assembly, as Messiah said in Matthew 18, Matthew 18 through 17, read it. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass against thee, go and tell him his fault between thee and him alone. If he shall hear thee, thou hast gained your brother. But if he will not hear thee, then take with thee two, one or two more that in the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church, the assembly. But if he neglect to hear the assembly, let him be unto thee as a heathen man and a publican. Once you've gone through that process, now you can take them to the court of law because you're no longer having to deal with them as a brother. But you can't take your brother to court unless of course the assembly said, you know what, you, are not walking in agreement to what the word says, so how can you be considered a brother in the word when you're not living according to the word? That's an excommunication. Yeshua again referenced the Torah law in the writings, Matthew 5, 27, we're almost there. You have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. "'Thou should not commit adultery "'is coming from Exodus and Deuteronomy.'" This is a command, this is Torah. "'But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman "'to lust after her, hath committed adultery "'with her her already in in his heart.'" And, And then the writings, Proverbs, said, "'Lust not after her beauty in thine heart, "'neither let her take thee with her eyelids. "'For by means of a whorish woman, "'a man is brought to a piece of bread, "'and the adulteress will hunt for the precious life. Can a man take fire in his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one go upon hot coals and his feet not be burned? So he that goeth into his neighbor's wife, whosoever toucheth her, shall not be innocent. Are you all hearing this? This is why, brothers, you gotta keep your eyes straight. This is one of the issues with vanity and, and folks out there, everybody trying to make themselves look beautiful. It's like, you know, Folks, people put a lot of emphasis on adorning that outside and for what? To catch the eye of people. For what? To draw them in. Why? Why are you trying to draw somebody in? Draw them into what? To tell you how good you look? That ain't you. See, you is underneath all that. You take the eyelashes out, you take the hair off, you you take the the, the you know the, 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 the rouge and the paint off, you take the the nails and the, the the you know padded stuff off and all of that other stuff now there you are. That's who you are. Are you ashamed of that person? And if you are, who made you ashamed of you? See, your beauty is not in that junk. Your beauty is you. And if people can't accept the beauty of you, they don't need to know you. Hello, somebody. Because if they fall in love with that presentation, and then you catch them, now you gotta go through your whole life not letting them see who they called. Cause the moment you take that stuff off and they wake up, it's like, who? Are you? who is this? Now you got some issues, right? That's why they don't show up. That's why they don't call you again, some of them. You wonder what happened. Well, they, they, they realize they'd bagged the fake. And I'm not trying to be mean. I'm talking to you like a father and a brother. See, that's what I'm talking to you like. Don't, don't let, don't let people fool you and trick you, and don't be a trickster. James warn us, "Blessed is the man that endures temptation." Brothers, take your eyes off all of that, cause it ain't what it appear to be. Take your eyes off of that. Because if you don't take your eyes off of it, it's gonna draw you in, entrap you, and then you become one with it for a moment. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which Jehovah has promise to them that love him. Let no man say, when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it bringeth forth sin, violation of the law, and sin, violation of the law, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. The wages of the violating of law is death. The wages of sin, which is violating the law, is death. Death by whom, the Almighty? Not by the hands of men. Although in the kingdom of Israel, during the time when, you know, they operated by the law of the kingdom, they had that authority. Now, we don't have that authority because we're not in the kingdom of Israel. The kingdom is in us. And the only people we have the right to put to death is ourselves. And I'm not talking about death as far as ceasing to exist, I'm talking about death to that carnal nature, that carnal man, that man that is opposed to the law of Jehovah. We'll finish. And if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out, Matthew five twenty nine, and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. That word hell again is, is not Hades. And if thy right at hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee, for it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. Let me tell you something. It's better to kill the old man and to deal with those lusts than plucking your eyes out and cutting off your hand. Cause this is really what he's saying. Get, get your life in order. Deal with the issues that is causing you to get angry that is causing you to have thoughts of, of, of vengeance and, and revenge and murder and, and harming people. So I know what that's like, I've, I've gone through that and I have to work at not allowing it to happen today because people do things and they say things that if you're not careful, you mess around and tap into that flesh for a moment. <laughs> that flesh will expose you. That old man will get you in a lot of trouble. That's why you got to kill him and keep him dead because he'll resurrect on you now. Just like that, he'll resurrect. He'll pop up on you <laughs> when you least expect it. People who make everything about salvation issues miss the intent of Jehovah's word. The law was never about salvation, but obedience. Faith in salvation comes, came before the law. Salvation can only come through Messiah. The question is how do you live once you've come into Messiah? Always remember, Kingdom living is vertical and horizontal. Kingdom living is about a relationship with the king who is Jehovah, and a relationship with him and his people, the family of Elohim, the community of God. Kingdom living is about loving God and loving God's people. It's about a relationship with him and a relationship with his people. It's about obeying him and how I treat his people. Kingdom living is about loving God and loving my neighbor, with the understanding that my neighbor are those who are part of God's family living in the community of God. Remember, the law was to be lived out in community in the promised land, where the heathens were to be driven out. The heathen or unbeliever is not your neighbor. There was one law for the native born and those who joined themselves to Israel. The unbeliever did not enjoy the benefits of the kingdom, even when it came down to loans. And we talked about how sons You're not to give your sons or your daughters to them. The sons and daughters were not to be given to the unbelievers for their sons and daughters to be wives and husbands. Israel were not to worship like the unbelievers, were not to adopt the ways of the unbelievers. Israel was to be holy as God is holy, and what makes us holy as God is holy is the holy commandments, the holy word, the holy law given to us by the holy one. When we understand these things and we start living accordingly, what you'll see is that you'll become, you'll start becoming holy like he is holy. How can you become holy like he is holy disregarding what he who is holy say? You can't. You may become holy like church holiness. You may be be part of the holiness church. Your holiness is dependent on the length of your skirt, how you got your hair covered not wearing red and not wearing makeup and not wearing jewelry. A church will give you a definition of holiness as it defines it, but then there's the Bible. The commandments are holy, the law is holy, and God said be holy like he. Well, what did he give us to do that? How do we become holy like him? By doing what he, his holy word says. People who don't understand the language of the Bible interpret the Bible using definitions in their own language. We must always remember that the English Bible has Greek definitions for its words in the New Testament and Hebrew definition for its words in the Old Testament. You cannot use a Webster dictionary to find the definition of words in the Bible. And if you use an English dictionary to define the words you read in the Bible, you almost always come away with the wrong understanding or an improper interpretation. And because of this, you need a Hebrew-Greek concordance of Bible words. You need to be able to rightfully divide and study and search the Scriptures and understand the words that are used in order to come away with the right interpretation. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free eBooks on our ministry website at ArthurBaileyMinistries.com. Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel-Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at apostlearthurbailey, on Twitter at apostlebailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at apostlearthurbailey1. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the about link under contact us. Again, thank you for joining us and until next time, Shalom saints.